Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 177, Final Mission. Welcome into, man, I can't believe this, the very last episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm uh, I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Uh, um, wait, last episode? Well, I assume so. Uh, my notes say final mission. Oh, no, no, wait. I, I see what happened. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's not our last show. Okay. Um, we, we thought it was last week, and I, I can see how you could think that it would be this week. That's actually in the name of the episode, Final Mission. Wow. That makes this cake kind of stupid, huh? Cake is never stupid. <laughs> Sometimes, though, the cake is a lie, and that's for the video gamers out there. <laughs> hey, uh, John's going to do a little trivia in a second, because that is one of the things that John does, but before he does that, I'm going to do one of the things I do, and that is let you know uh, how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and, and pictures and, and comments and all kinds of things, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please... Do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. You know, it's getting to be a running gag. I think really every episode from now on, because mm-hmm. it won't get old over the next 11 to 13 years. No. <laughs> you no. just start with, oh, wow, it's the last episode. Yeah, and then one, the new series coming. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's and then perfect. One day it will be the last episode and nobody will believe it. <laughs> right we just won't say anything we'll say yeah join us next week yeah not release the show yeah. which is actually it'll be uh no it'll be the first episode of the moonlighting uh podcast oh right yeah yeah, yeah i forgot about that or how some, could i forget something like that anyway yeah. yeah hey uh you got a trivia thing to do oh yeah that's right i do i cool. still do that okay today's <laughs> episode final mission was written by Casey Arnold Ince. This is his only writing credit. Uh, now, he created the premise of this story. Uh, his only other professional credit was working on the 1987 TV movie Daniel and the Towers, a movie about the Watts Towers, the artist who created them, and a boy he befriended. Now, the teleplay was by Casey Arnold Ince and Jerry Taylor, who we have mentioned. Uh, Jerry really did the lion's share of the work on scripting. In fact, she said she spent more time on this script than on any other for the season because of the importance of the character drama, as well as trying to get the B-plot up to a decent level. It was directed by Corey Allen, and we've definitely mentioned Corey Allen before. Not a frequent contributor, but we've already seen his work in uh, A Counter at Farpoint and Home Soil. In addition to his long career as a TV director, he had small roles in a couple of great movies that I love, uh, Night of the Hunter and Rebel Without a Cause. There are a couple of deleted scenes 
from Final Mission. You have Picard in his weakened state talking to Wesley about Jack Crusher. And uh, you have an additional scene on board the Enterprise when the sensors actually locate the crash shuttle. And uh, then we pick up from there back to the scenes on the planet. Now, this episode was conceived as a way to have a fond and impactful farewell for Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher. We have discussed how Will wanted to leave the show, listen to our supplemental interview with him. This story was written in such a way to give him, give him something to do, to make it have meaning, and also make sure that we know he's alive so he could return to Star Trek again without having to do time travel or, or something like that. Um, the script was originally conceived for an ice planet, but the desert was an easier location to pull off particularly if you're in Southern California. <laughs> um, the location stuff was filmed at the El Mirage Dry Lake Bed. Now, let's talk about this place. It is northeast of L.A., not super close, but close enough, uh, kind of near Edwards Air Force Base. It's actually a pretty active area. People will camp there. You can fly remote control or actual small aircraft and land them there. There's actually no speed limit either. So if you have a vehicle permit, knock yourself out. Uh, scenes from Terminator 2, Buckaroo Banzai, There Will Be Blood, and so many more have also been shot there. Oh, and look at those beautiful Star Trek Three phasers that Captain Durgo has on board his shuttle. Nice to see the reuse of some props there. Guest stars. We have Kim Hamilton as Sonji. Kim got her start in the early 1950s on TV. She appeared on The Twilight Zone, The Thin Man, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Leave it to Beaver, The Mod Squad, Kojak, and so much more, including stops at many of the major soap operas. She was married at one time to Werner Klimperer from Hogan's Heroes. She passed away in 2013. And we have Nick Tate as Durgo. Born in Australia, Tate has a long resume as an actor. You've seen him on Night Court and Hook, Murder, She Wrote, uh, The X-Files, Jag, and many more. He also has built up quite a career as a voice actor. But who am I kidding? You absolutely know him as Alan Carter on Space 1999. Now, if for some reason you aren't familiar with him there... He was the cool pilot who would fly the one and only, one of the coolest spaceships ever made for sci-fi TV, the Eagle. Now, Captain Durgo is the captain of the shuttle Nenebek. Does that sound familiar? It should, because Nenebek is named after our old friend, Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. So... In 1987 and throughout into the early 90s, Larry had been working on the Star Trek Next Generation Concordance. He was self-publishing these guides to the show. They were just full of details. And naturally, the writing staff and the producers of Next Generation had copies of that as their own reference guide. Jerry Taylor happened to have a copy on her desk saw his name, and thus named the shuttle Nenebak as a little tribute, a little tip of the hat to Larry Nemechek. Did anybody uh, tell Jerry that she misspelled it? No, I, I don't believe they did. Maybe Larry did. If anybody was going to tell her, maybe Larry did. <laughs> we, should, we should ask him next time we see him. Yeah, I agree. Asteroids, deserts, radioactive waste. This episode should be exciting. Let us let John tell us all about it. 
On the way to Pentaris 3 to negotiate a dispute with miners, Captain Picard has some strong words to share with Wesley Crusher. You're late. You talk too much. And guess what? You're going to Starfleet Academy. For real. Picard is the master of the poker face, and Wesley is elated. For his last official duty on the Enterprise, Wesley will accompany Picard to Pentaris 3 because, wow, yeah, miners. Before we can get deeply into that, though, an urgent distress call comes in from Gamelon 5. Chairman Sonji there reports an unidentified ship entering their atmosphere and leaking dangerous radiation. No problem, Riker will take command of the Enterprise, while Picard and Wesley go to Pentaris 3 in the shuttle sent to them by the miners. Meet Captain Durgo of the shuttle Nenebek. He brought his shuttle, and Jordi LaForge says that everything checks out. Wesley's like, oh, that's cute, and Durgo is all. She may not be much to look at, but she's got it where it counts, kid. The shuttle lifts off, and seriously, not ten seconds into their trip, something goes terribly wrong, and the shuttle goes careening out of control. Act 1, prepare for impact. This old shuttle is not exactly up to slick Federation standards. Stuff is falling apart, sparks are flying. When they finally do hit dirt, the three find themselves on the brutally hot and dry Lambda Paz, a moon of Pentaris 3. There's no one around. And did I mention it's hot? Oh, and Durgo has no emergency rations, not even a replicator to whip up a few gallons of water. In orbit of Gamelon 5, the Enterprise finds that the dangerous radiation-leaking ship is a derelict, just some old radioactive garbage. Riker and his crew are there to help, though. Since the old vessel is already leaking all over the Gamelon atmosphere, they'll tow it to their nearby sun and let nature go to work. Still not easy. There's an asteroid belt in the way, and all that radiation is still dangerous to the Enterprise. Shorty has an idea. Link up a remote thruster on the garbage ship so they can stay at a safe distance. Oh, and Worf just got a message from the miners on Pentaris 3, notifying them that Captain Picard's shuttle didn't arrive. They'll have to work fast and head back to try to find the Captain and Wesley. How are they doing? Well, Durgo isn't much use in a crisis like this, but Picard has decided the three should head toward the distant mountains. He leaves a crudely fashioned arrow in the ground to alert anyone who might find it where they've gone. While Durgo sneaks a drink from the flask he's hiding from the others, Wesley uses his tricorder and detects a faint bit of electromagnetic energy coming from those mountains. The three trudge on. Act 2. What do you know? Those mountains have a cave, and that cave seems to have been used by someone for something at some time. There are stairs carved in it and everything. Durgo drops his flask. It was alcohol. But Picard requisitions it not for drinking, but for the potential to use it as a coolant or disinfectant. Time to explore the cave. Beverly Crusher, meanwhile, is assembling her team to help those who were affected by the radiation on Gamelon 5. Deanna stops by to let her know about the latest with the missing shuttle. There is no news, only that Starfleet doesn't have anyone nearby, and they're hoping the other miners will assist in the search. Meanwhile, Jordy's idea about the thrusters was a good one, but as soon as they're ready to go, one of them flings itself off toward the planet below. They'll have to do this the old-fashioned way, with a tractor beam. And just as suspected, the Enterprise starts to soak up some of that sweet, sweet radiation, too. They're going to be delayed in looking for Picard's shuttle. In that cave, our three thirsty travelers find a fountain. 
like a water-spewing fountain that is just as beautiful as anything at the Bellagio right about now. Durgo approaches, but a force field immediately surrounds the water and knocks him back. No matter, he pulls out a phaser and starts blasting. Picard is pretty sure that this is a bad idea, but Durgo persists even when two weird bursts of energy swoop in and aim right for him. One of those weird energy swooshes, in its fury, knocks loose large rocks in the cave right above Wesley. When Picard pushes him out of the way, the rocks land on the captain instead. Act 3. Picard is not in good shape. Well, you wouldn't be either if hundreds of pounds of rocks just fell on you, too. There are broken bones, what seems like a pretty severe concussion. Picard is doing his best to keep a brave face, but the prognosis is grim. Even Durgo is ready to pronounce him dead, but Wesley is grasping for any hope he can find. When Durgo steps away, literally stepping over Picard, Wesley hears some advice from his captain. This may be the end, and Wesley will need to stand up to Durgo, who, let's face it, has been a font of bad decision-making. Checking in with the Enterprise, the tractor beam is tractoring, but it's not quite enough power. They're only so close to the sun and need to step it up, but the radiation levels are increasing. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, back to the cave. Wesley has made a little progress on the protected water fountain. There is an electromagnetic field, and it increases whenever anyone gets close to it. He might be able to find the right frequency to halt it, but he'll need some time to science it up. Durgo points out something interesting to Wesley. That phaser he was using earlier is wrapped up in fiberglass. Space fiberglass. It's selenium fibers electrically deposited, and he figures it must have happened from that weird floaty swooshing electric energy blob that showed up when he was shooting at the water fountain force field. So he's going to do it again and wants Wesley's help. Wesley points out that this probably won't work, but it's a neat trick. Durgo fires at the fountain. Wesley sets up his phaser on a ledge, automatically firing in tandem. When the swooshing energy blob shows up, this did not go as planned. Now Durgo is wrapped up in space fiberglass, and that water is still off limits for them and for Picard. But at least Wesley won't have to stand up to Durgo now. Act 4. Even though Geordi was given her all she's got with the engines, like the true miracle worker he is, he found a little more power in reserve, and now they're cooking, towing that poisonous derelict barge toward the sun. Oh, but the radiation is getting more dangerous, and that asteroid belt is... What? We we made it? Okay, uh, cut the thing loose and hightail it out of there to find the captain and the kid. Wesley breaks it to Picard that Durgo is dead, and Picard is doing his best impression of a dead man too, which kind of freaks out Wesley. Things are so dire that Wesley decides to remind him about the time way back in season two when they were both on a shuttle together headed to a starbase. Still nothing from Picard. Wesley is overcome with emotion, seeing his captain, his mentor, laying there in such bad shape. He opens up to him telling the unresponsive Picard that everything Wesley has done has been to impress him. He won't let him die. Wesley promises that he'll think of a solution, and Picard will not die. Act 5. The Enterprise is rushing toward the area where the shuttle was last seen. Even though the miners had searched the nearby planets, they had not searched the moons. Lambda Paz being the closest to the minute debris picked up is where they will head. 
Picard is delirious. He doesn't know where he is, and naturally he's thirsty. Things are really getting dire, but Wesley is trying to occupy himself with a technological solution to get the water. More importantly, Picard is trying to share some last words with Wesley. He envies all that lies ahead for the young ensign, and he tells him to seek out Boothby, the groundskeeper at Starfleet Academy, one of the wisest men Picard has ever known. That, and Picard reminds Wesley that he has always been proud of him. Wesley faces the protected fountain one more time. He's hooked up the transponder from his communicator to the tricorder, and there's some tech teching tech all over the place. The phaser is fired. That swooping energy light shows up, but Wesley uses his tricorder to kind of stun it, taking a play from Dr. Vinkman. It works. The light energy passes right through Wesley. The force field drops, and now there is nothing between Wesley and all that water. He collects some and starts slowly getting it to Picard. A little while later, Wesley is awakened by the sound of his mother's voice. She's there in the cave now with Data and an away team. They found the arrow Picard had left, and now it's time for all of them to beam back up to the Enterprise. Picard, on a stretcher, takes the opportunity to joke about Wesley's condition, and Wesley gives it right back to him. A hand is extended as Picard tells the ensign he will be missed. The end. So they spend all this time trying to get at the water fountain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did they not see a wink of an eye? Oh, well, it, maybe they did. <laughs> maybe they did see it. And yeah. they were like, that episode was great. Yeah. <laughs> that so, episode was great. What are you saying? Yeah, no, it reminded yeah. me of all the stuff that we've always said. I mean, first of all, it looks like water, but they haven't actually been able to get to it yet. And then, you know, yeah. it's or it's like, you know, the Zaz or like whoever it was in Wink of an Eye. I can't remember which character it was, but, you know, like, you know, drank the water and died immediately. Right. No, right. It, well, it seemed yeah. like immediately to us, well, although I, for him it was a full lifetime, but you get the idea. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if it looks like water, just go, go get the water. Yeah. You know, it, 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 wink of an eye is just a distant memory. <laughs> it, it is indeed. Yeah. It is indeed. Miners can... Again, miners. Yeah. It's always something with the miners who are causing problems. I imagine that the ones that get past eating things and drinking things on mysterious planets in, in Starfleet Academy, there's a whole semester of miners and what to do with them. <laughs> there has to be. There really has to be. The bane of the yeah. Starfleet officer's existence, miners. Miners. That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Like, and then at what? Like charts? Of all the different kinds of miners, and just stay away. Just stay away yep. from that kind. Stay away from that kind there. Hey, I got to say, a uh, bad week for Jordy. Okay. Didn't yeah. occur to me until you were actually going through this. He didn't set one thing up on the scow. He set up two, but one went flying off immediately. And also, as you pointed right. out, he checked over Durgo's ship. And he's like, well, this looks weird, but it's fine. And and not neither one was fine. <laughs> no, I mean, it's right. just a bad week for your chief right. engineer entirely. Like, yeah, I wonder if, like, next really week is going to be, like, that we hope for. he's going to yeah. be down, you know, in KP with us because he wasn't paying enough attention to engineering. <laughs> right. right. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Warp core is fine. <laughs> Antimatter containment, just fine. Right. You right. just, you go to warp nine. Yeah. Whatever. Why not? Yeah. He's spending too much time on the holodeck, maybe, and not enough time actually in engineering. Um, <laughs> I love... 
Picard. I mean, the, the opening is is pretty fun. That that he he's just he's distracted and he's ready to dress down uh, Wesley because you know that Picard has thought about this moment for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I'm going to let Wesley know that he got into Starfleet Academy, but but I, I'll show them. I'm not old, stick in the mud, humorless Jean Luc Picard. I've got a joke up my sleeve. <laughs> and the first thing Wesley runs in and he's out of breath. Oh, I've been working on a thing and. Picard says, I summoned you nearly 10 minutes ago. And I'm thinking, have you seen how big the ship is that you are the captain of? It is literally <laughs> the size of a city. It well, is massive. True. But 10 they, minutes is not bad. They do know? have turbo lifts, though. And, and you know, one thing about the turbo lifts, mm-hmm. turbo. turbo. I'm, I'm sometimes, sometimes you got to wait in line. Sometimes you got to wait in line. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, you never but really actually seem to have to. Star Trek Two yeah, is well, the only time I remember anybody having to wait for the uh, for the elevator. Right, right, and then they made that a thing. You yeah, know? and I also thought, man, that that crash sequence is is pretty cool. You see the shuttle kind of lose control, and then just planet coming right at you, and then crash, and then that thing lands. It, it lands in exactly the right orientation. Yeah, I didn't see seatbelts anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and Picard just like opens the hatch. He's like, "Well, I guess here we are." Picard's good, man. What I actually yeah, couldn't figure out because you're right. Immediately after, they look great, but then the very next scene, they're filthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what yeah. that was exactly. Like, uh, roll yeah, around in yeah. the uh, in the dry dirt to try to cool off. I don't know because all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, right. Not to well. It is what it is. Uh, Wes uh, is a little too gung ho in this episode, especially like around that time. Okay. You know, like the whole okay. you know when they're on the shuttle, he's like, "Don't you worry about Captain Picard, right?" But then he goes like like from gung ho to I think you actually mentioned it uh, to Luke in episode four. Um, really, just sort of like a hey, he's gonna you. We don't have to let you know that kind of thing. Right. Um, right. Luke, right. by the way, was nobody's favorite character in episode four. I'm fairly certain, and, no. and somebody's gonna write to me and say. You're right. <laughs> okay, no, so then he goes. But from, you know why? What? Yeah, yeah. The, the reason he's not is because you've got a Han Solo. Yeah. And did I mention? You know, Nick Tate, Alan Carter, kind of the Han Solo of Space 1999. There's your connection. Well, he's not the Han Solo of this, but you know, he does have a not little, at all. Not, not, not in any shape or form. Okay, so then he goes from being Luke to being Wesley, and it's really terrible. Yeah. Actually, there's a nice like almost Ben Hur moment. You know, when Wes reaches down to help Durgo up, right? And Durgo, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little reticent, but goes ahead and takes his hand, and then they're standing face to face. He's like, and "You were worried about how weak the captain is, or something like that." And it's like, "Wow, just push him, just punch him in the face." Durgo, mm-hmm. who, who is like not a good character at this point, but really, right. Wes is just like right down there on that level with him. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. I was, I was, I found that disappointing. Yeah, I, rightfully so. Okay, I good. Thank you. Always interesting to me when have an alien race like the people on uh, Gamelon 5 who are advanced enough to know how to contact spaceships light years away. Um, they know of the existence of spaceships light years away and how to contact them, uh, but they don't have technology themselves to do things like, say, you know, knock a derelict spaceship out of the sky. Hmm. Or or other you know or maybe send up a robotic craft to put in thrusters or or something like that. There was you know, a, you know there was actually something that she said um, that reminded me a little bit of Memory Alpha. Mm-hmm. She said uh, we're, we're a peaceful planet, 
we have no way to defend ourselves. And then oh, there's okay. a difference between being peaceful and being a sitting duck, right? Well, right. I mean, yeah. you can be a peaceful person, like, you know, but learn a little self-defense. Hopefully you never have to fight. But if you ever do have to fight, you know, you know what to do. Yep. You're still a peaceful yep. guy. It's just, you know, if somebody comes at you, you at, yeah. at the very least a little judo, you know, it's like, it's mm-hmm. like just toss mm-hmm. them aside using their own weight. So, yeah, kind of kind of weird. Um, the thing that I wondered, yeah. the other thing I wondered about her, in addition to the whole we're peaceful so we don't, um, right. I wondered if they were like Planet Zoidberg, you know, with the mm. thing hanging down in front of their face, like from uh, from uh, Futurama. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, every time she was on screen, I kept thinking, why not Zoidberg? That's all. <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, see, I also thought that, you know, speaking of the technology that's going around, so the Enterprise got contacted from Gamelon 5, presumably a long way away. Okay. They are able to contact the miners at Pintaris 3 and say, hey, the shuttle didn't show up. Well, they got the contact first, but then they were able to radio back and say, well, can you look around? And the miners are like, oh, yeah, I guess that's what we do. Um, I was thinking maybe the comm badges that Wesley and Picard are wearing could contact the miners who are nearby. Huh. You know, there may be only a planet away. Yeah. That would have ended so, the show maybe a little early, though. I'm just well. Act two. Maybe that's okay. Oh, maybe they've gotten in touch. Okay. So act three, yeah. they're waiting. So. Act four, they're still waiting. Act five. Hey, look, it's yeah. those guys. We just got to keep knocking shuttles out of the sky <laughs> to make it, you know, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I was thinking, couldn't you tow the derelict spaceship? See, this is bad because now I'm just thinking of ways to end the episode early. Yeah, you are. Uh, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, tow the, the derelict spaceship briefly yeah. and then just get out of the way. Well, no, they couldn't because they, they had to guide it through the, uh, the asteroid belt. Well, it's funny you should mention that. Okay. Because uh, it, it looks good on film, but from what I understand, asteroids really aren't all that close together. And even if they were, I imagine if you had, say, like a super intelligent android on board that could plot out a path, he could say, like, okay, go now. Don't worry. It's on its way. Let's get out of here. E, well, except we're, we're given to think that they have to guide it through the asteroids. Now, granted, they ended up only taking it through a, a, like a straight line through the asteroids. I guess the question right, I have, yeah. though, is who cares if it gets like caught up in the asteroid belt? Because the asteroid belt's a belt of asteroids, right? Right. So well, but then it, you might have a bunch of radioactive, garbage-filled asteroids making their way toward I'm your sorry, planet. I'm sorry. Did we have other day. plans for those asteroids? Well, no. Wait a minute. The asteroid belt isn't making its way to the planet, though. No, but but if you have debris, yeah, that could make its way at one point or another. I mean, again, it's all extremely unlikely. <laughs> it, <laughs> seems, it seems a little. It was very strange, actually. Yes, how how easily they got through the asteroid belt because the Enterprise. Well, no, I guess the Enterprise was smaller, wasn't it? than the scow or was it well it, it was but but again you know you think about it all they did was point a straight line through right. a hole in the asteroid belt which yep. data probably could have seen from a very far distance and said like oh okay well we need to to pull it starting now yeah. for this distance at this force and then get out of the way no because it will go through that giant gaping hole in the asteroid belt and i i heard it described at one point that uh, asteroids in an asteroid belt mm-hmm. are kind of like airplanes in the sky. Okay. Like if you're in an airplane, 
Yeah. If you're in an airplane and maybe once every now and then you look out and way off in the distance you see another airplane. Yeah. That's kind of like how an asteroid belt is. The distances are so vast that you may just happen to see another one, you know, close enough by to be in visual range. But because the 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 spaces we're talking about are so huge, it's not like um it's not like falling in a ball pit at a Chuck E. Cheese where they're just everywhere. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's a visual. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah so is. I guess as long as we're doing this whole thing, then why not Why not just uh, attack a shuttle on the end of the uh, scow? Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Run it by remote control. Or, on remote. Yeah. Yep. Something like that maybe all, would have been a little bit easier. Of, of course, you, you lose the shuttle doing, at that point. What? We're, we're thinking us out of this. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> that's what Wesley did. That's what Wesley, Wesley did. Wesley's gonna yeah. think us out of this. Yeah. So you're you're gonna think us out of this. Well, no, I'm just gonna think of other ways that it's easy. Twenty seven years later, though, or however many to go back and go. Oh, you know what they should have done. That's yeah. just really <laughs> a waste of time. It is. Yeah. So I, I guess that's our cue to move on. Asteroids, deserts, radioactive waste. This episode could have been exciting. Let us see what John and Ken can pull out of it. So I thought there was an interesting idea about uh, command here. Picard tells Crusher that he's going to have to stand up to Durgo. Now, my assumption was that uh, Wes was going to have to stand up to Durgo because Durgo was going to try to take over. He was going to try to take control. and, And, you know, I guess in this hierarchy... Wes would actually outrank Durgo, even though they're not the same organization or whatever. Um, I assume the whole thing was so that Wes wouldn't lose control of the situation, sort of like Spock did in Galileo 7. But uh, the other reason I think it really, it turns out, is is so that the people under him wouldn't die or so that other people wouldn't die. Um, He doesn't have a strong enough personality to control Durgo, and so Durgo buys it. Which is different, because mm. originally I thought Picard was just going to say, look, Durgo's going to try to push you around. I think Picard might have actually been telling him, you need to be strong so that everybody survives. Not just, you need to be strong so that you're not pushed around. Which I found hmm. yeah, relatively interesting. It's really not Wes's situation to command, so maybe I'm reading too much into that. But Durgo yeah. wasn't really interested in, in lording it over Wesley. I mean, Durgo had an idea... Wes thought it was a dumb idea. If Wes had actually been able to stand up to Durgo, then Durgo would have lived through the dumb idea, right? Yeah. Instead, though... That'll show Durgo. Well, it will. It will indeed. (laughs) Yeah, he's all nice and bubble-wrapped, ready to be sent off someplace else. Right. (laughs) Sorry. I was was curious what that whole thing was. It was fairly horrific, though, when you just kind of see his face through that plexiglass whatever. Yeah, Yeah, that was kind of neat. It was kind of scary. Um, yeah, no, that's sort of the problem with it. I I mean, when Starfleet jumps into a situation where it's, you know, they're not walking into a Starfleet or a Federation place. They're, they're walking into a planet with miners and the miners probably couldn't care less who was there, you know, what the command structure is within that. Here's just a guy to come help negotiate. Um, and then certainly some kid who's an ensign doesn't outright anybody 
He, he's just the kid. So I, Durgo is probably going to do whatever he pleases no matter what, whether it's Picard in command or Wesley in command. But I, I did like that scene with Picard kind of reasoning with Durgo after Wesley had his outburst when they first crashed. Mm-hmm. Wesley's tactic was like, hey, you better listen because he's the captain. Right. But Picard's follow-up is great. He said, hey, look, you're a great pilot even though he just wrecked, <laughs> you know, right. let's, let's butter him up with a lie. Right. Okay. So, Hey, you're, you're a great pilot and your input is valuable. If you've got better input right now than walking to the mountains, I'd love to hear it. Oh, nothing. Okay, cool. We're going to go to the mountains then. Um, so the command style was nice to see. Maybe Wesley could have learned something from that. Um, but ultimately, Durgo is a guy who's going to throw chain of command right out the window. You know, he just happened to be in the situation that he was in. Um, but I did wonder about Wesley as a leader, Wesley as an adult, because we've seen Wesley grow up from the awkward 15-year-old to maybe the less awkward 17-year-old here, 18-year-old here, about to head off to the, to the academy. And I did wonder by the end of it, what did he learn? And obviously we have our section at the end of the show where we'll try to figure out what the morals meaning messages are. Um, but I did wonder what did Wesley actually pick up from the experience. He has faced death before. He, he was confronted with the death of his father and not just his father but others on the Enterprise, kind of the reality of life on the Enterprise um, but he still kind of seems immature here and he didn't actually have the opportunity to step up and face down Durgo. He got lucky that Durgo got killed by the space whoosh <laughs> you know right? And, and, and I wonder then does this tell us anything about how he'll be at the at the academy because he, he has these kind of outbursts and he, he has this sort of i don't know I, I don't know that the kid's handling stress too well we shouldn't expect too much out of him he's not an adult necessarily here um but but i i i wondered about his ability to face another really stressful situation because this was a tough one um, and he, he potentially was going to watch his his captain and his mentor die, and he's uh, he's kind of losing it, which may be very realistic, and it may be very realistic for a 17, 18-year-old. Um, but maybe I expected that this is the one where he does actually face the test of having to stand up to a guy like Durgo and not be the guy at the beginning of the episode who sort of shouts him down but learn something that is a little more Picard-like in being able to reason with him. Because that that was the nice thing to see Picard come in. And I, I looked at that one moment and thought, okay, there's a lesson in command. Mm-hmm. There's a lesson in, in reason and not being like, like Wesley at that point. Um, I thought in the episode that we didn't spend too much time on Picard dying necessarily maybe because the audience would never believe that Picard would actually die here and in this way Mm -hmm. Um, still though there was some good discussion with Wesley and I wondered if Picard got out everything that he wanted to express to Wesley it was a nice moment for him to say that he was always uh, proud of him 
I wondered maybe some message to get back to Beverly. <laughs> In the times that we've seen Beverly, maybe try to open up to Picard, and Picard maybe under the influence of, well, other beings, try to express something to Beverly. But I, I thought that maybe these were other things that would have come out, uh, come out at the moment. I don't know, though. It might be weird if, like, you know... Wes has never, I mean, I don't think Wes has ever actually seen whatever bond it is that exists between uh, uh, Picard and, and Dr. Crusher. So it yeah. might be weird if, like, one of the last things he hears from his mentor is, oh, by the way, tell your mom for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That'd be kind of strange. I think, I think, I think uh, Picard at that point would probably assume that there was an unspoken whatever that they both recognize. I don't think he would, you know saddled the 17 year old with uh, but, but be sure when you tell her that I wasn't you know mm-hmm. tell her I was thinking of her right at the end why I, I th- why are you thinking of my mom <laughs> I, I think maybe let's just make it as completely uncomfortable for Wesley as we possibly can <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, I, I, I don't know I was just thinking that you know I wanted to have a lot more to say about those moments between mm-hmm. Wesley and Picard. But then I thought, well, the episode really isn't about death or dying or last words or or anything like that. It's really about Wesley stepping up. And then I feel like, well, Wesley stepping up, he didn't really have to do because he didn't necessarily learn a lesson in command. Like I said, Durgo got killed right from right from underneath them. <laughs> right. And and then he had to go attack the tech to to make the thing work. I do think we get to a little bit contemplate who Picard is when he's faith, facing death, if only for a moment. Um, it, it's stoic and thoughtful and still kind of kind and, and open hearted to Wesley, which I think are all the qualities that we thought it would be anyway. You know, uh, well, which is fine. I think you're leaving out the part, though. I, what, I, honestly, the the best part of the whole episode to me is when uh, Picard uh, starts to cry and says that he envies Wesley because, you know, his mm-hmm. adventure is just beginning. I mean, it's an interesting little – it's actually an interesting play on words with the whole final mission because, you know, we assume, uh, well, it's your final mission on the Enterprise. You're going to come with me. But, of course, mm-hmm. then uh, Picard is laying there dying, and so yeah. it actually could have been his final mission. That's a cute little juxtaposition, too, with, wow, you know, as I lay here dying, you're just beginning. Except, of course, yeah. we know that Picard's not going to die. I mean, that's what makes right. that kind of difficult. I mean, putting him in, in peril is just silly because yeah. he's, not, he's not Guy from, uh, you know, from Galaxy Quest. And, and though he <laughs> wears a red shirt, red shirts don't mean what they used to. Yeah. I mean, it, so, I mean, you know, putting Picard in peril is like, oh, okay, well, let's see, how many more minutes do we have? So I'm going to guess he's like six more minutes in peril, and mm-hmm. then it'll be fine. So I don't mm-hmm. know. You yeah. know, uh, talking about Durgo, too, um, or as you were a moment ago, mm-hmm. it's it's weird to me that we, that he, there is no growth from that character. Zero. Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't have, like, like we talked about, uh, who, what was the, in the most toys, I cannot remember the woman's name. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm I'm sorry that I'm blanking on it, but yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Who, we actually saw a little bit of growth from her. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, yeah. I mean, and she had been. It seemed at first like maybe she was a bad guy in in uh, in in cahoots with Fajo, and then I said uh, it seems possible actually that she is a victim of abuse, 
And and so mm-hmm. that sort of opens up a little bit more about her character. And then when she actually comes to help Data, okay, that opens up even more about her character. And Durgo is the same. He's like one note, start to finish. He is he is a bad guy. He is a he's a rapscallion. Except rapscallions, you, you kind of like them still, right? Yeah, yeah. Durgo's just a jerk, like start yeah. to finish. With I mean, it was weird to me that we had a character who was like central to this whole thing. Uh, for whom or from whom we got absolutely nothing redeeming whatsoever. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately that reflects on Wesley because like I said, Wesley doesn't get to have that growth moment of, you know, I'm going to step up to command. Right. He's robbed of that because there's nothing of Durgo other than standing in the way of the fiberglass dispenser. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Um, yeah, I you know I was reminded of uh, some references in TOS. I, I I was thinking, of course, of the miners in Mud's Women, mm-hmm. because really those guys were stereotypes. You, you know, they're, they're just these kind of rough around the edges, and they're just kind of man. Are they? They're stuck in the twentieth century, but <laughs> if that was the twenty third century, yeah. Um, we even had a hint of that in Devil in the Dark. Where the, these rough and tumble guys from Muds Women or Devil in the Dark, they they just can't see the obvious answers in front of them. They can't take good advice. Um, and again, I, I thought to expand that it for all the social progress that Star Trek shows us, there is this hint of Starfleet elitism. You know, they know the answers, and more importantly, they have the resources that no one else does. Uh, uh, Durgo says it when they get to the planet because Picard's like, what, you you don't even have a replicator? You don't even have rations? Come on. And he's like, yeah, because this is not a starship. You guys have that stuff. We don't have that stuff. No, well, you're you're conflating a couple of things. It was actually, again, it's one of the shortcomings of Wesley in this when they're trying to figure out when Picard says, uh, scan for Class M planets. Mm-hmm. And Wes says this this data board looks like it's about a hundred years old. Yeah, and that's when sure Durgo does. says we don't have uh, we don't have the resources. Uh, Durgo, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I was actually kind of weirded out by Picard saying you don't have emergency supplies because I'm thinking mm-hmm. it's just a matter of how long it's going to take you to die in space, right? Like well, you don't have water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because right, I mean, right. if you lose propulsion, but you got water, well then you got like an extra week. I thought that Picard yeah. was actually being a little hard on him. Of course, you know, he should have known he was going to crash on a uh, on a desert planet. Oh, totally. Except for yeah. the part where there's absolutely no way that he could know that. We have not talked at all about the B plot. Mm-hmm. Except for the part where we talked about the fact that, that it really was like a like a red letter day for Geordie. Yeah. Um right. I'm curious about the whole eco message thing. Because it seems like there's an ecological message here, except I think we've talked about one of these before where it's like, okay, so don't, you know, don't throw your radioactive waste into space because somebody else is going to have to clean that up. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, right. no, like, there's no, I, I was kind of bothered by the whole B plot because obviously they're going to succeed. <laughs> Right, because they have to because they have to succeed so they can go get Picard because obviously nobody else is going to be able to save Picard it's going to have to be these guys they're going to have to do that because we have to have that touching moment at the end which means they have to be able to dispose of the garbage scow which means everything that happens next two three and four 
uh, or mm-hmm. it's just like it's just wasting time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it it truly is. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I thought the ecological idea it is an interesting one, um, but like you point out, there's no exploration of of how it came to this point, or who did it, or what a realistic solution would be for the people below. You know, we're fortunately you have this super advanced starship that just happens to be within shouting distance to say, hey, come fix this for us. Right. Um, I I, I like the idea of shooting toxic waste into space, um, (laughs) but but specifically aim directly at the sun. Yeah. You know, even if it would take years to get there from from our own perspective and and would bear an enormous material cost. Well, those are just things to figure out. But good idea. Very good idea. We should hold on to that one. I I will say that one thing, though, you say there's no obvious solution for the people, you know, that they could do themselves. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. They, 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 They burrow under the ground. They expand their mind capabilities. And, you know, then they start, mm. start catching people to put in their zoo. Asteroids, deserts, radioactive waste. This episode. I mean, seriously. This episode. I can't remember the last time that we tipped our hands so much during an episode. How, how we felt about oh. the episode. I honestly okay. thought maybe we were going to quit halfway through this. Once I realized, yeah, we haven't said like two nice things, I don't think. But uh, let's go ahead and do it just for you know the sake of doing it. Uh, it's time now to figure out the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and whether or not the whole thing uh, holds up. Final mission, John. Does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? You know that I love Will. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we had such a great conversation with him and and every now and then I've had other conversations. I just think he's a hell of a guy and I feel like he has been unfairly dumped on for next gen for things that are just completely and utterly not his doing, not his fault. That said, I don't think he would act the role the same way that he did here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, people change a lot. Actors certainly change a lot um, as they mature. And you're a different actor at 18 than you are an actor at 30 or 40 or whatever. Um, even for Wesley, there is an earnestness and immaturity that we didn't see before. It, it just plays very strangely. I, I don't really think that part works well here. Um, it's one thing for a kid to be scared and have to go through the kind of trial we see here. Something else, though, to see the boy mature and put on his adult face. I would have preferred to have seen that, hmm. you know. Um, so I feel like there is a missed opportunity with this episode to, to, like I said, see the moment that Wesley takes command that he is challenged and has to do something because what we end up with is him having to find the technological answer. So he finds it and then he's done. Yeah. But, but that, that's really kind of it. Um, the B plot stinks of let's get them out of the way. That, that really is all that's there. So this is an episode where the heart is completely in the right place. 
you know, the idea of having these moments for Wesley and Picard, the idea of trying to challenge Wesley and just from a production point of view to give him a farewell, give him a send off where we could also bring him back. Heart's totally in the right place. It just doesn't hold up like it should. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't come together like it should. So unfortunately, I cannot give this one a pass. What about you? It's neat to be outside. Sure. <laughs> that place yeah, you were talking right. about. Um, the stuff with the uh, the planet and the garbage scow felt like padding, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, the real story is with Picard and Crusher. And yeah, there's stuff that's happening on the Enterprise. Like we're, you know, kind of worried about Beverly, worried about Wes, but we don't really get enough of a thing with that. It's kind of a Star Trek thing to have a Sentinel about which we get no explanation. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an original series thing almost. It, like We know nothing about this thing, but there it is, and it still has to be dealt with. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, we, we've done so much now where we're doing like real story that you got to give me something about that Sentinel thing. Yeah, um, right. You can't just have it there and then can't just have it so easily defeated. I mean, why was it there? Where was that water coming from? Where was that water going? <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's too much right. about it. It's just like it's it's too it's 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 too Deus ex machina in a way. It's yeah. like oh, there's water, but we can't get at the water, and and don't don't ask me why the water's there or how it got there or <laughs> what it is that's protecting it. And shh, okay. Um, right. th- what makes this episode work in any respect is the relationship between Picard and Crusher. But then when you turn it into just being Crusher, it really starts to weaken. It, no, I don't think it works. I was actually almost willing to say I, I, I kind of want to just give it enough, but the only reason I want to do that is for the Picard, really for the Picard part. I mean, yeah. I, I want to even yeah. say for the Picard and Wesley part. I mean, again, when Picard has that moment where he cries and he says, I so envy you, I mean, that to me was an incredible moment. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you sort of expect incredible moments from Patrick Stewart, I suppose. And so, I mean, right. that's not going to be enough to really, you know, really enough to carry it. Same time, I actually did think there were messages, but, yeah, or at least things I could pull out of it. But but let's go with you first. What messages do you see uh, coming from this episode? Well, I, I don't think this is a heavy, heavy message episode. I mean, it, let's talk about that line about Picard having envy for for wesley mm-hmm. he, it, it's an interesting choice of words i don't think there's the sound at all of any regret in picard's voice as he thinks he's dying but but there is this kind of sweet moment of envy yeah you know, you're just at the beginning of the adventure um and I think that's what's really nice about it, and that's what's nice about his choice of how to deliver that line. So if I pulled a message just out of that, I would say it's don't live with regret and don't miss opportunity. Picard has had a very full life. He he, he may envy the idea that he remembers it clearly he remembers himself at this young age starting at the academy starting all these things but he has been through so much and had so many great adventures and and enjoyed hopefully enjoyed his life even though we've had glimpses into maybe picard's troubled personal life from Mm -hmm. time to time you know so maybe there is a little bit of a hint of the things that he could have or would have done differently but but I don't get that sound of 
regret, at least not at any kind of deep level there. It's just the idea that he got to do it. Picard got to do it and have this great life and have these great adventures. And if it ends there, then so be it. So if now he's sort of passing the torch to Wesley to say, you get to go do all these things. So embrace it and enjoy it and and savor every minute of it. So maybe maybe that's what I'll pull out of that moment. Um, and surely there are more. What about you? Well, I mean, right at the very beginning, right in Act 1, there's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. They've got this mm-hmm. whole planet that, you know, is going to be uh, littered with radiation. And what Riker really wants to do is go save uh, Picard. And what uh, Dr. Crusher really wants is for him to go save Wesley, but you know that that's only three people. Yeah. If, if yeah, we even yeah. care about Durgo, and who knows if we do, but that's only three people, and there's this whole other planet they have to take care of first. So I mean, that's there. There, there is folly in what Durgo does, and it's part. It's not. This is not even part of Durgo being a bad guy, but um, it's a great line. Enough talking. Enough thinking. It's time to do something. Well, no, <laughs> no. I mean, go ahead and do something if you want to, but think about it and talk it over first. I mean, it's like that. It's like that. That thing I loved when Data said to Picard, "Do you want? Do you want to take us out of orbit?" And Picard mm-hmm. says, mm-hmm. "And go where?" Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. You don't. You yeah. don't. You don't just. You don't just do something for the sake of doing something. Even though we didn't get to see him really thinking about it, even though we didn't get to see why. I mean, you do. I mean, you could sort of say the whole never, never, never give up kind of thing i mean he's gonna think his way out of it he's gonna think them out Mm -hmm. of it and he does i kind of just wish it hadn't been so plastered on there like you know well let's really quickly take care of this and there seems to be an inherent eco message but again not really right right. (laughs) yeah i I think that was radioactive waste is bad Okay, well, I agree with you. Radioactive waste is bad, but nobody in this episode created the radioactive waste, and whoever created the radioactive waste didn't have to clean it up. So really, you're not actually making a case for, you know, take care of the ecology because or the environment, because as I say, if you don't, somebody else is going to have to take care of it. Right, <laughs> well, right, that that right. actually sounds okay to me. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that right. seems fine. I'm not sure who's learning the lesson there. So, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, they're fine, but they're all tacked on. I mean, it's sort of like, I don't even know if those messages were intended to be there or if it's just like in part of storytelling, you can maybe pick out a message or two. So, no, well, you know, so far in season four, we've had some great excursions into the personal lives of these characters. Yes. And certainly some of the high points there being uh, an episode like Family, where you really dig deeply into that. And and I like having that thread throughout. So here's an episode where they tried to balance out some of the, the action equation with that look at a, at a character. Let's give a little deeper look at Wesley. But I feel like they dropped the ball, and that's what I've said before, where these particular adult writers didn't really know how to write a kid. And we're using the term kid loosely here. He's 18. He's going off to to the academy. But they didn't really know how to write him. And this was an opportunity to have him truly grow and really get something out of him. But what we got out of him was whiny kid solves the problem with technology survives to see another day <laughs> you know yeah so the the messages there aren't really the messages there that's what's frustrating 
you know, because there there was an opportunity to maybe have a message there or to just really see some deeper, more introspective character growth. So that that's the trouble with this episode. Wow. That's one of the troubles with this episode. <laughs> hey, you know, it's interesting, though. It's been a long time since both you and I were like, yeah, no. <laughs> right, right. And, and so here yeah. we are. So how far yeah. into season four are we? And we got to that. So, uh, yeah, mostly it's been a win. Oh, mostly it's been a win. And I just saw what the next episode is. I should have known. See, that would have been funny if I'd... <sighs> Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, The Loss. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am sorry to be that computer, but why did Durgo not drill a hole from the side under the fountain? and transmission.